for most of the morning. Yeah, Psalm 107. And I'm going to just read the first few verses in order to get us started. Um, this just was in my reading plan just over a week ago. And one of those nice moments where something gets hold of you and then you think, I'm going to give that a bit of thought. And then you think, no, that'll preach. And it just sort of builds and builds. And, and I've really enjoyed meditating and thinking about this psalm. Verse 1 where are we? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. I'm going to read through the whole psalm, or most of it, as we go through. But rather than reading all of it at the start and then also going through it as we go through, we'll pick up different sections as we go along. This is a psalm that is for the redeemed. <laughs> the redeemed. And what that word means is those who have been bought back. There's a lovely picture in Hosea. I think it's in around about chapter 3 where Hosea has got himself a wife but his wife becomes a prostitute. And there's this fantastic verse that I have up on the wall in my study. Somebody drew me a picture and put this verse on it and I put it up on the wall. And it says, my, it basically says, my wife became a prostitute, so I bought her. And it's the most powerful picture of redemption. She was adulterous and she was rebellious and she was unfaithful. And what did he do? He went out and he bought her back himself. He didn't abandon her. He didn't leave her. He bought her. And the redeemed are those who have been bought back. And for every one of us that follows Jesus, we are the redeemed. This psalm is for us. And the psalm calls us to be thankful. Uh, Linda mentioned there a wee bit about, about prayer and about commonly used words in prayer. My most common two phrases or words in prayer are these. Thank you, help. <laughs> That's it. That, that, you know, give, on any given day, the prayers usually start with thank you and, and always run into help <laughs> at some stage as, as I pray. And if we're going to increase our thankfulness to God, we want to think about his goodness and we want to think about his love that endures forever, which is going to be sort of the, the theme this morning, the unfailing love of God. And God's love is one of those things that I think we, we can be in danger of graduating from his love, which we should never do. We can be in danger of being really taken by the love of God whenever we start to follow Jesus. Whenever we start this walk of faith, we're really impressed by God's love and we're really moved by it. But we can easily sort of think that it's a simple thing in our faith or it's something that we mature from that is completely wrong. We need to be bowled over day and daily again and again and again by the unfailing love of God. And the redeemed, we, we read about these in verse 2 and 3 here to tell their story because he's redeemed us from the hand of the foe. 
Now, what is it that, that God in this psalm has delivered the ancient Israelites from? Maybe 3,000 years ago that actually is applicable to us. How can we find ourselves here in this psalm? We read about how he has delivered people from the east and the west and from the north and the south, which basically then encompasses everybody. It's one of those sort of Hebrew literary things where it's not just people from the north and the south and the east and the west. It's everybody in between. It's all people are, are included in this. And I reckon as we go through these four different groups of people that are so clearly then laid out in the psalm, it splits into four sections, you will see yourself somewhere, maybe in more places than one, but you're going to see yourself somewhere. Either see yourself right now or see yourself as you were in in the past. And the first group that are mentioned are the wanderers in verses four to nine. Let me read those verses. It says, some wandered in desert wastelands. This is our first group. They found no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and they were thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Now picture these people. They are in a deserted wilderness, wandering, aimless, no purpose, no straight path, on their own, isolated, alone, hungry, thirsty, in a dry place. And what they're looking for is a city. What God's people have always looked for is a city. We read in Hebrews 11 about Abraham. He was looking forward. He he left his home, you know the story, because he was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and architect is God. That's what Abram longed for. And that's what God's people have always longed for. And whether you know it or not, that's what you long for. And that's what I long for. We long for a city. Not Belfast or London or New York. But a city speaks of a place of security. When I was a kid growing up in the Church of Ireland, we sang a song every week. uh, A chant, a canticle, whatever it is. And it was, I think it was Isaiah 26. And in Latin, the Latin words would have been up on the board at the front of the church. Herbs fortitudinous. Herbs for city, fortitudinous for strong. And the way the song went was, we have a strong city. And we would have sang that every single week in church growing up. But it's that picture, a city is a place of strength. It's a place of security. The Psalms speak lots about refuge and strength and a fortress. And a city is that sort of a place with buildings where you can find shelter and protection. We all long for a city. A city gives us community. These wanderers out in the desert on their own. They don't have community. And within the human heart, there is a yearning for community and they're longing for a city because a city puts other people around you. And they are longing for resource as well. These people have got, they're hungry and they're thirsty. There's no bread and there's no water because they're out in the wilderness wandering alone and they're wearing away and they're tired and they're desperate for a city. Abraham was looking for a city And he never got it yet, but he will. Because according to Revelation 21, at the end, John, as he writes his visions down, he says, I saw the holy city, what everyone is ultimately longing for. The new Jerusalem 
coming down out of heaven from God. And what about these wanderers then that wandered in the desert in our psalm? This first group of people who are, who are wandering in the wastelands, in the desert wastelands. What will God do for them? It says that they cried out to the Lord in their distress or in their trouble. They shouted, help, okay? The daily spends prayer, help. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. No more wandering aimlessly. Now God has put a path in front of them that is straight, a purpose, a direction in life, rather than aimless wandering around in circles. And not only has has he put a path in front of them, but he is leading them. He doesn't just say, go that way. He shows the path and then he says, follow me. And he walks along that straight path. And we read on that, that, he, that those people, that first group of people are called to give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. You're going to see this again and again. The psalm so neatly splits into four. Let, let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty. Those that are wandering and they're thirsty, parched, dry, they need water. He satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry. That's what God does for that first group of people, the wanderers. You might be in that group. You might have been in that group, isolated, parched, longing for a city, a strong place, a community. I think the city is the church. I think it's a picture of the church, what the church should be. It should provide community. It should provide resource. It should provide strength and safety and refuge. That's what God rescues these people and brings them to. The second group of people in our psalm then, the second point of the compass is from verses 10 to 16. These are the prisoners. So we've had the wanderers and now we've got the prisoners. Let's read about them. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor and they stumbled and there was no one to help. Now remember what we're doing here in this psalm. We've started off with with this command to the redeemed, give thanks to the Lord for he has redeemed you from the hands of the enemy. And now he's going through four different groups of people who have been redeemed from different things and calling them all to think about God's unfailing love. These prisoners then have been rebellious. The middle there of that verse, they rebelled. These are the ones who who heard the word of the Lord, who knew what God called his people to and how he called them to live, but they chose to go a different way. They rebelled. And the outcome of their rebellion was that they ended up in chains. Now, for God's people Israel, for some of them, it was physical, real chains. As we bring this and apply it to our lives, when we rebel against God's way, we usually find ourselves in bondage to something. And that'll be different for many different personality types. But people will find themselves ensnared, enchained, suffering in darkness, restricted, held back, addicted, call it what you want. But the the conscious choice, I know God's ways, but I don't want God's ways. I want my ways. It usually leads to prison. 
It usually leads to being enslaved to something. They're told that they stumbled. So many times when you read the Psalms, you read God promising his servant, your foot will not slip. I, my feet are on a firm place, on the rock. But for these who have rebelled against God, he says, you're going to trip and fall and no one's going to be there to help you up because you've chosen this way. And they long for deliverance. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And like the others, he saves them from their distress. He brings them out of the darkness and he breaks their chains. The first group of people, the wanderers, needed a city, a community, a safe place, a straight path. God provided it because of his unfailing love. The second group need their chains broken. Addictions, enslavements, they need to come out of darkness in the light and God comes to them and he does that for them. He breaks the chains, he brings them out of darkness and they are also told as the second section ends, give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. He breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. That's how God delivers that group of people. So you, you may be in the first group, a wanderer in the desert, isolated and lonely and parched and dry and needing a city. Or you may be in the second group where a bit of rebellion against God's ways has led you to being ensnared and chained and you need to be set free. God comes and he does that. The third group, I hope you're not in this group, <laughs> the fools. Oh boy, that's a derogatory term in the Bible. It really is. The fools. It says in verse 17, some became fools. Again, why did they become fools? Because they rebelled against God. They suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. These people again rebelled. And what you can see the outcome was, was physical affliction physical disease but I think we can apply that to if we live rebelliously and make decisions in life that are not based on God's truth but just based on our own rebellious ways we make foolish choices and we get diseased maybe not necessarily physically Maybe in relationships. Maybe relationships become diseased because we're not living in accordance with God's wisdom. We reject God's ways and our relationships become unhealthy and we start to live foolishly. Do you ever encounter people who just can't get on with anyone? <laughs> just nobody. If they stood and looked in the mirror long enough, they'd have a row. Yeah, Fool, rebelled against God and there is, there is ill health in their relationships, not just their body. This could even affect our minds. If we rebel against God's ways and we make decisions that are not based on his wisdom, we, come, we could become foolish and our thinking can then become really, really unhealthy. And what does God do for these people? Because they do the same thing as the other two groups before. Even though they're foolish, they have the wit to cry out to God in their trouble. And he saved them as well. And what did he do for them? He sent his word. So the first group, the wanderers, needed a city. Security. And the second group, the prisoners, needed to be broke free. 
And this third group who are foolish and they are living according to foolishness, how God heals them from all their disease in whatever, physical or relationships or their mind, the way he heals them is by sending his word. He sends truth to them. Because that's what they need. They don't need set free from chains. They're not in chains. They're just making stupid decisions. And he sends truth for them. You understand, for every different group, he is revealing himself and bringing a different aspect of himself that will heal them or set them free from whatever it is that is causing them distress. And their foolishness, in this case, is healed by truth, by the word of God. And they're called again as the third section ends. Let them give thanks to the Lord as well for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice, thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. That's the third group. We've had the wanderers in the desert who need a city. God gives it to them. We've had the prisoners who need set free. God sets them free. We've had the fools who need some truth to live by and God sends his word. And the fourth group, the last group, is the overwhelmed. Now, if you haven't fitted into the first three, you're not isolated and wandering the desert, and you're not enslaved by something because of rebellion, and you're not a fool, thank God, there's a good chance you'll fit into this one. (laughs) If not now, at some stage in the past or at some stage in the future. The overwhelmed. Let's read about these guys. In verses 23 to 32. They went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. I think these are good guys. I think they're just going about their business. They're they're traders who are going to do business. They're going to work. They're just getting on with normal life. It doesn't look rebellious. Um, They're they're getting on and and they're doing stuff. He spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted up the high waves. That They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. So as they have been going about business and going about life, suddenly everything has become overwhelming. In their peril, their courage melted away. Have you ever felt that? I remember one particular time just suddenly coming to an understanding of what the Bible means by that. Where you, there, there's, there's verses where it talks about their hearts melt or their strength melts away. I can remember occasions of just feeling almost as if, you know, just as adrenaline seeped out, almost feeling as if my heart was melting within me, as, as courage was, was just suddenly overwhelmed by fear. Their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Have you ever been at your wit's end? Courage has gone. All around these people who, it looks to me, they were just going about work, life, business. They weren't going out and being greedy. They weren't going out and engaging in sin. They were just getting on with it. And all of a sudden, the storm around them. And they are overwhelmed. They are not in control. It's a horrible place to be. When you look around you and say, I'd love to, I'd love to fix that, but I can't. I can't control that situation. There's nothing I can do about it. That's a horrible place to be. And we all find ourselves there. And sometimes you find yourself, like these guys, you're in the boat and 
you know, it's not just one big wave coming at you. <laughs> there's a wave coming at you from one direction and there's another one coming at you from another direction and another one from another direction. And, and more often than not, in these overwhelming situations, what you find is it's not just one thing, it's four. <laughs> and you're like, you know what, I could deal with one. <laughs> but when it's four all at once, then it's tough. And then you can lose your courage quite easily. Then you can find yourself at your wit's end in those situations where there's just instability. And maybe now and again after a wave crashes, you can see the shore and you think, oh, if I could just get there. <laughs> you ever do that? I've spent most of 2022 doing that. Just looking, if I just got past that obstacle, if I could just get that particular situation resolved, I could, I could then be at the shore. And it seems that every time one of them gets resolved, another one takes its place. For these people, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. I was just reading this psalm a week or two ago, and as simple as this, it's just like, oh, I've read that four times. What's going on? And then suddenly you can see the, you know, the four sections coming out, these four groups. What did he do to them? He didn't need to break any chains for them. They didn't need a city at that moment. They didn't need truth just right then. They weren't sort of being foolish and didn't need truth. What they needed was someone who could still a storm. And he comes to them as they cry in, in their distress and he stills the storm. The seas, the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad. You bet they were. Sometimes the Bible is really funny where he just says something and you're like, that is the biggest understatement ever. <laughs> they were glad. <laughs> Look, isn't this good? You know? They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. That's how God shows up to them in their chaotic seas. Let them give thanks to the Lord. There we go again. Section ends. Give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. So four different groups of people. Four points of the compass. You're bound to fit in somewhere. And see how God comes to all of them. And there are similarities and differences in these four different groups. They are all in distress. Every one of them. And all of humanity, all of mankind has one problem that unites all of us. And the problem is sin. We have that in common. All of us need delivered from the penalty of sin. Jesus did that by his cross, his death, his resurrection. He has paid the penalty for sin. So we're, we're all similar in that we are all in a degree of distress. But then what's different is the nature of the distress. Some people are wandering and that's why they're distressed. Some people are in prison and that's why they're distressed. Some people are fools because they've made bad decisions and some people are overwhelmed through no fault of their own. But I'm making the point that all are in distress, but it's different for each one. And, and there may be people in distress here, and it's all for different reasons. Right? All of them have a, another similarity in that they all cry out to God. Every one of them will cry out to, to the Lord. But the difference is how God delivers each of them. We've all got different distresses and God shows up in different ways. 
to the one who was wandering, he led them. He comes and says, I'm going to be the God who leads you to the city. To the one who was in prison, he says, I'm going to be the God who is the chain breaker. Right? So, I don't know. Yeah, I could say he's a way maker, and I, and I don't, but I don't know if it'll work beyond this. You know, He breaks the chains for the prisoner. He... For the, for the third one, he heals. He comes and heals with truth. And for the fourth one, he stills the storm. I want you to see that God shows up in different situations and performs different acts of deliverance. And somebody here might, might say, do you know what? All I needed was community and God came and brought me to community. He brought me to a city. And somebody else will say, that's brilliant. God bless you. For me, I needed chains broken. I needed a power encounter with God when his spirit moved and chains in my life were broken. That's what I needed and that's what God did. And somebody else might come along and say, that's brilliant, praise the Lord, let's sing and give thanks. But for me, I was just a bit stupid with my choices. I was just a bit ignorant. I was selfish. I did what I wanted and I didn't take God's wisdom on board. And what he did was he healed me with his truth. And somebody else might get up and give testimony after that and say, none of those things really apply to me. They're great, thank God for them. But my life was just surrounded by tidal waves and I was out of control and I could do nothing about it. And he came and stilled the storm. You see, God shows up in different ways for different people and he delivers all of them. And at the end, there's another similarity. So they're all in distress. That's a similarity. They all cry out to God. And then every one of them, no matter what their distress was, and no matter what God's deliverance was, every one of them at the end of each of the four sections are told to do the same thing. Give thanks for God's unfailing love. Were you set free from a bondage, then you should give thanks for his unfailing love. Were you brought to a city? you should give thanks for his unfailing love. Were you healed by truth? You should give thanks for his unfailing love. Were the storms stilled? Give thanks for his unfailing love. And the psalm ends with a powerful, powerful verse. A wee bit more than I want to do, but the psalm ends with this verse. It says, those who are wise. Do you want to be wise? I do. (laughs) I do. Those who are wise will give heed to these things. They'll think about how God has moved and how God has acted. And they will consider the unfailing love of the Lord. Every one of these four groups of people were all delivered by God in different ways for the same reason. God loves them. God loves them. And he loves you. And he loves me. And his love is unfailing. If that is a truth that has just got familiar to you, let it hit you afresh. You're loved. (laughs) You're loved. The old NIV says, great love. This is the Hebrew word, hesed, you know, unfailing love, steadfast love, loving kindness, English translators don't know what to do with it because it's just such a powerful word. The NIV says, the great love of the Lord. And I have learned how to pray from listening to other people pray. I listen to a lot of Bible teaching and a lot of lectures. And I listen to how the teachers pray at the start and at the end. And Rick Watts 
always starts his prayers by saying, thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. And I've learned in my praying to always start off thanking God for his love and his faithfulness. Thank you, God, for your great love for us. And there are two important truths that are a wee bit hard to swallow about this love that I want to give you as we move towards a close. This love does not make life easy. The unfailing love of God does not make life easy. When you read verse 33, so after the four groups of people in the psalm are dealt with, there's another wee section starting in verse 33 and it says, he turned rivers into a desert. And you're about to shout hallelujah. And then you're like, hang on, that's the wrong way around. That's not what God does. God turns deserts into rivers and then flowing springs into thirsty ground. Yes, oh, no, that's the wrong way around as well. We don't want that. Fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. And we see God doing these things that seem a wee bit back to front. But you know what? Sometimes great love calls us to really difficult things because it knows that that's in our best interests. Sometimes great love calls us to really difficult things. And it's quite clear that in these verses, difficult situations have been created in order that people would stop and gain some wisdom and think about God's unfailing love instead of just coasting on. The next verse talks about how he does the opposite, what we're more used to and what we'll sing about and shout hallelujah. He'd have turned the desert into pools of water, the parched ground into flowing springs. He can do what he wants, right? Talks about the city and talks about fields and vineyards and fruitfulness. Talks about numbers increasing and everybody's shouting hallelujah. And then the next verse, their numbers decreased. (laughs) And things all went belly up again. Sometimes this great love brings us into really, really difficult places. Have you ever had a situation where you have loved somebody very, very deeply? And because of that, you have called them to do something very, very difficult because you know that it's in their best interests and you know it is a loving thing to do to call them to that really difficult thing. I've experienced that very recently. Deep, deep love causing me to say to somebody, you have to do this because it's for your best. And the thing that I'm calling you to do is horrendously difficult. Sometimes God's unfailing love puts us in difficult places for our benefit, for our growth, for our learning that we would learn wisdom and appreciate his unfailing love. And the second thing I would say about this love is that it is limited. And you heard me right. God's love shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God's amazing love. For God so loved the entire world. And I'm telling you now, it's limited. It can be limited by how we act. In 1 John 4, verses 11 and 12, listen to this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But look at this. If we love one another... 
God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If we love one another, his love is made complete in us. Now, can I flip that and suggest if we don't love one another, his love is not made complete in us. This amazing, unfailing love, if I refuse to give it away, then I limit what I can receive and experience of it. If I hold grudges, if I don't forgive, if I refuse to love people who are difficult to love, if I put people down, then I limit how I experience God's unfailing love. It's like forgiveness. If I don't forgive, I'm not forgiven. God gives us things to give away. And if we don't give them away, then we limit what we can receive. And we will limit the unfailing love of God if we refuse to love one another. John goes on in 1 John 4 to write about how we can rely on his love. That's another beautiful verse. You can rely on his love. And goes on again to say that perfect love casts out fear. Again, this hit me last Sunday morning. I'd already been thinking a bit about this psalm. And last Sunday morning we sang No Longer Slaves. And there's a line that says, My my fears were drowned in perfect love. And you might have saw me frantically with my notebook during worship last Sunday morning. I kept picking it up and writing stuff down and setting it down again. I'd pick it up and write it stuff. And I just felt God saying to me, you need to think about my love. Because what I, what I want you to do, what I want to, to do with this community, with this church, with this people, fear will hold you back. Fear of failure, fear of whatever, fear of what other people think of you, it will hold you back. And in order to overcome those fears, to drown them in love, you need to consider the unfailing love of the Lord in order to cast out fear. My fears were drowned in perfect love. And I felt God saying to me, that's your assignment for the next while. Ponder my love so that these fears will get smaller and smaller and die eventually. Let's finish with Jesus. Did Jesus do anything for the wanderers, for those who were in the desert? I think he did. (laughs) I think he went into the desert. And I think he defeated Satan in the desert. And early in your Gospels, in those accounts of the wilderness temptations, that's when Satan was bound. Jesus went into the desert and did battle with him and bound him. And not only did he bind the devil in the desert and then, then lead captivity captive, lead people into freedom in the wilderness and in the, the desert places. We read in Psalm 107, I think it was verse 9, we read about the people who were wandering and they had no food and they had no water and Jesus in the wilderness and in the desert places gave food and says here I'm the bread of life (laughs) and Jesus said I'll give you living water he comes to the parched dry thirsty hungry isolated lonely wanderer and he not only leads them to a city he he goes right into the desert after them defeats their enemy brings them out and brings them to that city provides for them what about the prisoners? We read about these guys in, in Luke Luke 5, was it? I can't remember, should know. But we read about these guys in the tombs, the demoniacs who were in chains and how Jesus set them free. What about the fools? 
Jesus spent so much of his ministry teaching. Okay? If you're a fool, get the Sermon on the Mount, get it into you. (laughs) And learn how to live. And learn how to treat other people. Learn how to pray. Learn how to give. Learn how to stop worrying. And they overwhelmed. Didn't he calm the storms? He didn't even just calm the storms. It's one thing to calm a storm. It's another thing to get up on top of it and walk about on it. (laughs) To river dance on the enemy's head. Jesus did all of these things. And why did he do them? What was God's motive for delivering those four groups of people in the psalm? His motive was his unfailing love. And for Jesus, he said to his followers in John 15, the night before he was crucified, possibly even leaving and starting the journey towards the garden, he says, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Karl Barth was a Swiss theologian, thought to be, I've never read Karl Barth to my, you know, shame, maybe someday. Um, But he was thought by many to be the greatest theologian of the last century. And he was asked on a panel one time, from all of your years of Bible study and theology and reading and thinking, what is the most profound truth that you know? And he thought about it. And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's what he left them with. Don't ever let that become something small. Let those who are wise consider the unfailing love of the Lord. God is love, and love never fails. Amen. Let's pray and let's give thanks for his unfailing love.